Um, last week, we started a new series called How We Fight. And I'm trying to answer the question, how would Jesus and his disciples live in this time, in this cultural moment? Because there's obviously a, a, a gap, you know, in time between when the New Testament was written by all, of the, all the various authors and, and today. And so the cultures, they look different in some ways. The message of God, though, is timeless. And so we believe that the principles absolutely travel down through time, through the ages. It is God's word, after all, for all humanity, for us today. We don't just see God's word as absolute truth. You know, it's relevant. It's still relevant to us. So if you missed last week, you'll know we quickly covered some of the challenges that, that we face today as Christians in, a, in a, quite a post-Christian world. We covered some of the ways our cultures rejected God's truth. Uh, you know, they've gone with subjective truth. And, uh, and we talked about how the unseen dark forces are where the real battle is. We talked about the dangers of ideology, the cult of personality that we just seem to have all around us today, especially with um, this media and online world that we live in. And we made the point that we have um, the New Testament example still to respond to these things, including when there's pressure that comes against Christians or when, we, you know, when, when our culture has just rejected God, rejected Christianity. We also briefly talked about what the New Testament Christians didn't do in response to, the, to some of the similar things they faced. In fact, they, they faced a far more extreme version of what we have today. You know, they respected those in authority over them. You've got to keep in mind that they were under occupation by the Romans, and, um, you know, the king of the Jews at the time uh, was, was a puppet king that the Romans had put there. The new Christians found their true Messiah, they stopped looking for a political saviour. They found the answers to the world's problems in Jesus. That, that's the point. In, in his kingdom, their energy was put into the spread of the gospel. You know, spreading the good news of redemption is what the answer was, as well as, um, you know, the, the compassion that God has for humanity. So feeding the poor and caring for the needy and helping the sick and bringing hope and healing. And just to again reassure you, because I don't ever want you to read things into my messages that aren't there. I, I'm all for holding governments to account. I'm all for voting. Uh, if you want to join a political party, get involved, all that sort of stuff, you've got my support in that. Absolutely. You'd have my prayers. One thing I want to make clear is I'm not about disengaging from the world and, and just bunkering down and shutting the doors, you know, and just, and just hiding away. I, I know in some countries you, you've got to hide in, in some ways. I, I get that, but that's not what we're doing here. I'm making the point that I sometimes see Christians either get sucked into something that doesn't look like Jesus, or they expend more energy on other causes, perhaps political causes, than they would expend on kingdom causes. And the priorities of Jesus need to be our priorities. You know, I really enjoy listening to Mark Sayers. You've heard me probably mention him to you a few times. You should read his stuff. He's got books. He's got podcasts. He's a pastor from Red Church in Melbourne. He has this amazing gift of reading culture and, and history, and especially church history and how the church has responded to cultural changes over the decades and the centuries that go before us. And it's a great insight, and it helps us to kind of understand where we're at at the moment. Because he believes we're not only in a post-Christian world, but that the holy discontent that we feel more and more, it's a, pre a precursor to renewal. And renewal comes before revival. 
And that's, that's where the church is heading right now. We've got to get on board with this. For all the depressing things that we experience and see around us that can leave us feeling anxious, there's hope. We, there's hope because of the gospel, but there's hope because we've seen God work through, through history time and time again. There's hope because our cultural moment is seeking answers in all the areas and they're not finding good answers in all the areas except for God. And there's hope because we actually do have an answer. So here's, one, here's something that Mark Sayers says. There's a quote on the screen behind me. He says, in the absence of a story or foundation that gives hope or meaning, life has become a never-ending quest for pleasure and experience. Instead of being good, people want to feel good. We know what he's saying, don't we? You know, that's the cultural moment that we're in in our Western secular world, the quest for feeling good. And then he goes on and he says, humans are built for bigger things. So part of the hunger we see around these political things is actually because the culture is desiring something bigger to live for it's a God-shaped hole. Well, we know what the answer to the God-shaped hole is. You know, there's only something that fits that shape. And I say all this just to help us understand what this series is about. It's about how we respond. How do Christians fight? And I use the word fight with caution because I know the, the first uh, image that comes to mind is, is violence. And that's absolutely not what we're talking about here. But the New Testament actually uses the words, you know, Paul and Jesus often use, they use the words war and battle and fight and stuff like that. So we looked at, at the, uh, the key verse for this whole series last week is in 2 Corinthians 10.3, where Paul says, we are human, of course, but we don't wage war as humans do. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We don't fight like humans do. This is the point, how Jesus and the disciples fought for the kingdom is different to how the world fights. It's just radically different. Last week, we talked about the number one battle tactic for Christians was that we pray together. It's powerful. It's effective. It's not for the timid, the strong and courageous believers in the Bible and through history. They were prayer warriors. You know, it wasn't just the timid people praying out the back and the strong people out the front. It's not how it works. The people who were, were strong and courageous for Jesus were the, were the prayers because they prayed. And so Wednesday was our first week in our month of prayer and fasting for February. And we had a, a great night on Wednesday night. I've just got a photo of what that looked like there. And so thank you to all those who came. And, and also those of you who are praying at home, thank you. I got text messages from about half a dozen of you. So thank you for that. That was fantastic. So this Wednesday is week two. This is how we fight. You know, remember we were looking at last week, unseen. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. So we... We're going to be praying. So week two, this Wednesday, we fast on Wednesdays until after the prayer meeting. So throughout the day when you're working or at uni, whatever, take moments to pray instead of having a meal. We're fasting for a movement of God. We're praying for our city and for our world. We're praying that God would deliver us from evil. That's the prayer Jesus said we should pray. Deliver us from evil. And we did that on Wednesday night. We prayed for uh, North Korea. And, um, you know, something happened in North Korea. I don't know what it is. I'm just believing that God moved because we prayed. Short but powerful, 6.30 to 7.15, I'm asking the church to come to at least one in February, but you should also consider coming to all of them. I'm going to do that. All right. Romans 12, 21. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. This is... 
the second battle tactic for how we fight. Last week, we pray without ceasing. I think I called it, um, you know, knees first. This week, we conquer evil by doing good. Now, we could look at the big ticket items today. There's a war in Ukraine. There's all sorts of evil going on around the world. You know, how, do we, how do we fight that? How do we, how do we respond to what, what's been going on in North Korea for so long now? Today, though, I want us to consider how we apply this tactic for us every single day. In our daily basis, each one of us can do this command of overcoming evil by doing good in your workplace, in your families, in your schools, in your universities, even in your churches, in this church, in our communities. So let's go to the words of Jesus. I'm going to go to the Sermon of the Mount because this is where I think we get some pretty clear idea of how we conquer evil by doing good. Matthew 5.38, you have heard the law that says the punishment that uh, must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. We're talking about conquering evil. And I admit, it does seem kind of odd that Jesus says, don't resist an evil person. That like I read that and I think, it doesn't quite feel right. Don't resist. Surely we would resist evil, resist an evil person. It seems like that would be the right thing to do. So I checked all the various translations. I tend to preach out of the NLT, and they all use, nearly all of them use the word resist. So it wasn't an NLT thing. But Strong's, when I go to the Strong's dictionary, I looked at the Greek word that was there. The meaning that Strong suggests that it is, uh, for the word resist is to set oneself against. And, and I guess that aligns with last week's scripture, again, in Ephesians, it says um, we're not against flesh and blood, but against unseen evil powers. So we're not to set ourselves against people. That's the worldly approach, I guess. So, so now that I drill down into it a little bit, I, I think I see what Jesus is saying. We're not actually... When he says, don't resist an evil person, he's saying, don't set yourself against the person. You see what I'm saying? Just because I was unsure. So I hope that helped. But I don't want to get too distracted with that because here's the main point. Jesus acknowledges violence and evil get stuck in a vicious cycle. We see that, don't we? They get stuck in a cycle. An eye for an eye perpetuates evil. Jesus came to turn this evil cycle upside down, to break it, to cut the cycle and to conquer evil. And he's told us how to do it. Step by step. How we overcome evil with good. Step one is don't, obviously, it's pretty clear, but don't return evil with evil. Let me just read it again. Verse 9. I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. That right there is hard teaching. It goes against our natural tendencies, you know, our, our, our sinful tendencies anyway. To want to strike back when someone lashes out at us. When you are hurt by someone, that's how we often feel. But breaking the cycle of evil starts with us. We will all personally experience hurt and harm at different levels and in different ways through life. You know, that's a certainty. I'm sorry. That's a certainty. It's going to happen and it's going to keep happening 
That's the broken world we live in right now until Jesus comes again. How we respond is what Jesus is saying on this Sermon on the Mount. He wants us to consider this, how we respond and how we break this cycle. When someone hurts us emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually, even the lesson here is simple but hard. We don't respond in kind. We don't get revenge, even though often everything in us screams out to do it. When we strike back in a way that harms another, we don't overcome evil. We actually perpetuate it. We don't break the cycle. It just continues to go around in a circle. We may, we may have to remove ourselves from that person. We may have to protect ourselves. That's wise. If we fall into an abusive or harmful relationship or situation, the command to turn the other cheek, the other cheek is not a command to remain in that place of abuse. Boundaries in relationships are actually a way to love better. And I think about Jesus when he rescued the, the woman caught in adultery. They were ready to throw stones at her. You know, that was... So think about this. He didn't walk up to her and said, well, turn the other cheek. Let the stones come. That's not what happened, okay? So we've got we to use our brains here when we think about how scriptures work and you use scripture to, to interpret scripture. Rescue and removal from harm is also a way to stop and break a cycle of evil. The point of turning the other cheek is about not doing harm in revenge or in retaliation. It's about stopping that cycle. Whenever someone offends us, insults us, lets us down, turning the other cheek means I'm, I'm going to respond with something radically different to what would normally be the world's response. I'm not going to respond in kind. I am not going to offend or assault, insult them in return. And that can be hard. And I know we're in a church and I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor, but I'm saying it can be hard. Because when we hurt, get hurt, that's the, the natural cycle that we want to be part of. But here is the harder one. I'm also not going to attack them behind their back. Because let's be honest, the easiest way I can respond to someone who hurt me is by dragging their name through the mud to others. We've all done it, haven't we? Very quiet when I ask that question. You're leaving me hanging, church. It's an evil form of retaliation, a form of hitting back in return. Let's be even more honest. Sometimes it makes us feel better when others feel better when others say something about that person that hurt us. Jesus is saying, I'm here to break that cycle. And I understand that sometimes we need help and support when we've been hurt or harmed. And yes, we have to go to a trusted person to speak about what's going on. Okay, so again, there's nuance in these things, isn't there? <laughs> so don't misunderstand me. We know what Jesus is talking about here. You know, sometimes, there's, sometimes we've got to speak up because others are getting harmed even. Okay, that happens. That's breaking a cycle too. You don't just turn the other cheek. Others are getting harmed. So it's about not getting, it's not uh, paying back in kind with what we're receiving. Because we're meant to break the cycle of evil. Step one, don't respond with, to fire with fire. Step two, we're going to go uh, to an even harder step now. <laughs> First one is not getting back in kind. 
evil with evil. Step two is return evil with good. If we keep reading, Jesus says, If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier delivers or demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. There's a bit more in, in, that, in those verses than I have time to, to unpack today. But I just want you to hear this point today. Return evil with good. As hard as it is to not return the hurt with hurt, Jesus says, well, take another step now and actually do something in return that shines a light to that person that hurt us, if it's safe to do. It does good. It tends to overcome evil. This is how we break the cycle. Think about what Jesus is saying. The person who has hurt you has already taken from something from us. Maybe our peace or our, our dignity or our reputation or something like that. And now Jesus says, Don't only, not only are you not to get revenge on that person, I want you to do something that maybe costs you a little bit more again, that blesses them. Them. That's hard. That's hard. We don't hurt back, we do good in return. Now for the hardest one. <laughs> you thought that it was already hard. This is the third and... and I said final step, but it's definitely the next step. And in my opinion, this step I'm about to show you is impossible by human standards. The third step is to love the person that hurt you. Verse 43, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Well, he put an exclamation mark in it. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And we know that tax collectors is, is what they usually talk to about kind of the, um, the worst people in their culture. You can think of who that might be. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different to everyone else around you? Isn't that a good question to ask yourselves? Because we're supposed to be. Even pagans do that, he says, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we've talked about what that might mean in other sermons. But it means, look at how Jesus does it. And be like that. I think in Luke, he says, um, you know, you're kind to your family. That's good, but it's, it's no big deal. Because everyone can do that. In a world where humility is no longer a virtue, where we have to always be right, where being offended is the way to get our way, where tearing down those we disagree with is the aim, Jesus flips it. Flips the script. Jesus comes along and he says, don't retaliate, instead do good in return. Now he says, I also want you to love that person who's hurt you. In fact, lift them up in prayer. That one that hurt you. 
Often we see that verse and Jesus says, pray for the one who persecuted you. You think, yeah, God, pray for that person, get them, you know, or change them, Lord, be more like me because they're bad. Actually, what if, what if it was this? Pray for that person. What if you took the person who has hurt you and then your prayers for them was, Lord, bless them. Meet their needs. Bless their family. What about those kinds of prayers? The person who hurt you. Not make them see how bad they are so that they might come and apologise to me. I mean, that would be nice, of course. And, and I'm not saying that prayer is bad. I'm just saying, what if, it's, what if Jesus is saying, pray for them? Flips the script. It's the opposite of the culture. I don't think it's always possible, but with by human standards, to find love for, for an enemy, if that's the word we want to use, someone who's hurt us that badly. But this is why we need the Holy Spirit, because only God can do this kind of stuff. And if you don't know where to start, that's where you start. It's, God, I don't have one good feeling for that person or that group or whatever it is, but you've called me to this, so Holy Spirit, I'm ready Show me how. Change me first, not them. How about that prayer? Change me first, not them. The first thing he's going to ask you to do when you pray is to find a way to forgive. You need his power for that. Our Lord set the ultimate example of this. We talked about it this morning as we were gathered around the table even though he was innocent, he was crucified, he hung on that Christ and he prayed prayers of forgiveness for the people who put him there. That's us. That's the ultimate example right there. Right in the middle of suffering. Forgiveness. And I know there's complexity to forgiveness. It's a whole sermon by itself. I know there's consequences for actions. I know there's memories that live on. I know there's pain. There's, there's healing that has to happen. But actually, this is the start of healing. I understand that it's not as simple as the pastor just standing here and saying, you should just forgive. There's a lot of things at play. The who and what and how about these circumstances requires wisdom and boundaries and support, but it does require the Holy Spirit because this is where Jesus wants us to get to. But good over overcomes evil. Forgiveness leads us to love. Love overcomes evil. We can't love our enemies until we, or those who have hurt us, until we've forgiven them. In February 2020, in the Sydney suburb of Oatlands, a group of seven kids went to get ice cream. This story kills me every time. Out of nowhere, a drunk driver mounts the footpath and, and, and plows into the group, and four little lives are lost, three siblings and a cousin, and another one severely injured. The next day, the devastated parents gathered at the spot with the community around them where the kids had been, had been killed. And there was deep grief everywhere. And a reporter put a, a microphone to the mother, her name is Leela, and, and said, what are your thoughts on the man who killed your children? And she had tears in her eyes. You've, many, many of you have seen it on the reports on TV. She said, Leela said this, the guy, I know he was drunk driving in the street. Right now, I can't hate him. 
I don't want to see him, but I don't hate him. I think in my heart to forgive him. I do want the courts to be fair. It's about fairness. I don't want to see him, but I don't hate him. And Danny and Leela were deeply committed followers of Jesus. They're part of the Catholic Church. In the face of the worst kind of evil, they found a way to fight. Then they're human, but they don't wage war like humans do. And then two years later, they were invited to share their story at the Vatican, and these are Danny's words. He said, This pain is unbearable. I've been carrying it since the day of the tragedy. I choose to forgive myself for telling my kids to go for a walk. I choose to forgive the offender in obedience to my Father in heaven. If my children were here today, they would say, Dad, forgive him. Forgiveness is more for the forgiver than the forgiven. When you forgive the other person, you start to heal. This is still Danny speaking. Forgiveness is not a single action in one moment. It has, to, it has been more than two years, and I must choose to forgive myself and the driver every day to not retreat into hatred. I mean, that's the end of his quote. How? How do you forgive like that? How do I forgive and find a way to love someone who has hurt me or when someone hurts my family? With God, all things are possible. And out of that comes a break in the cycle of evil. And we overcome it. With good, this is how we fight. This is how we overcome. We don't just tolerate those who hurt us. With God's help, we find a way to love them. We're different to the world. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. So we're going to finish, and as we do, I don't want to just dismiss anything that God might be speaking to you about today. As I wrote these words, I felt like God was telling me some things. And I want to give you that opportunity too, as well. Let's not just rush out. So I'm going to invite you, if you can't forgive someone or love someone, ask God today. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring his power and speak the name of Jesus, perhaps. Perhaps the, the way to do it is to do what Jesus said is to pray for that person. Maybe you could do that today. Pray for the one person who's hurt you recently. Not, not pray that they get what they deserve. Not even pray that they will realize their mistake. Not pray that they will be more like us. Pray for them. And I invite you to do that now. Tim's going to come quietly. And I invite you just a time of reflection. If Jesus is telling you something today, let's, let's respond in obedience. Let's respond in obedience. 